Oh, good evening, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Weekend Wrap brought to you by Crowcast, of course, and proudly sponsored by Smith Partners Real Estate, uh, Down to Earth Electrical, with a helping hand from uh, Hardware Unboxed and also all our wonderful patrons on Patreon. Joining me tonight, uh, Nikki, how are you going, Nick? I'm going very well. Uh, good to hear. And Maka, how are you doing, mate? Oh, I think I'd be about as cheery as every other crowd recorder. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you look back at, at the last few casts and people giving us shit about being negative and, oh, you're giving Brad Crouch a hard time and blah, 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 blah. Well, you know, we play a song in front of the news on uh, Tuesday Night Live and I think it's called Hate to Say I Told You So. so. <laughs> <laughs> No, yeah. it's unfortunately sad, isn't it, that you and I were we were a bit negative about our Gold Coast win, and in particular about the midfield area and, and uh, the ease at which sometimes that, that ball was moved forward from the midfield. Mm. Um, and uh, that negativity actually carried on in practice in, into this game, didn't it? Well, it kind of did. It kind of did. And also, of course, welcome to everyone who's joined us on Spreaker for the chat. It'll be very interesting to see... <laughs> What sort of what sort of uh, live listens we get this week, considering the <laughs> mess that we're in? But why don't we just push on and have a look at the scores, shall we? I'll, I'll just say that Brent in the in the Spreaker chat has said, "Welcome to episode eighteen of Groundhog Day." Yeah. Well, interesting weekend again in footy, uh, notwithstanding our disaster, um, but uh, some funny results and some unfavourable results as well. Um, did you guys see much of the footy over the weekend? Just about everyone, yep. Very uh, good. Mostly only the Sunday ones for me. All right. Well, let's hook right into it then and ignoring Friday night for a moment. Uh, Saturday, we had uh, Richmond taking care of the power, uh, Richmond 15-11-101 to the power, nine nine sixty three. Uh Fairly predictable result, and Richmond really starting to wind up now for finals. Yeah, I think that's a very accurate uh, description of it, Fiend, because uh, they were far too good for Port Adelaide. That was one of the highlights of my weekend. Because, <laughs> um, on Facebook on the Friday night, uh, there's some alleged friends who were rubbishing shit out of the crows and they are port supporters it isn't karma a wonderful thing because the very next day they got theirs and uh, but in, in terms of the football the quality of football Richmond use a that handball ahead type technique all the time so which forces players to run they don't handball to static players um, and they have the ability to carve a team uh, right up once they get, get that going and uh, uh, they were far too good for port Port tried very hard. I don't think anybody could say they didn't try hard, but uh, yeah. Richmond's far too good. Yeah. So basically they're a team full of netballers. Richmond uh, are. Well, that's <laughs> the way that... you play netball. It's, yeah, it's, pass you forward. Be, it's passing forward mm. and to somebody who's always moving. You never pass somebody standing still. It, if that's the case, Nicky, you could call them that then. Yeah. Uh, and it works for them because, like you said, Mac, it gets them running, and also it just—it's very hard to defend when the ball's cutting diagonally in front of you all the time. Uh, now, Carlton, uh, oh dear, their picks looking shaky, <laughs> and uh, getting over the Suns—it wasn't terribly convincing. Only four goals in the end, but 90, fifteen goals, nine ninety-nine to eleven goals, nine seventy-five. Yeah, I didn't watch that game. Um, 
uh, sadly, uh, 24 points, that's all you have to do, Fiend, to win the yes. game, and that's what they got. Yeah. And uh, as a result of the weekend, they're now another position higher. Yeah. Um, I'm looking forward. I don't think they'll get any higher, but uh, mm. I don't think they'll get any lower either. I think they might get so, a bit higher. Well, yeah. Anyway. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> yeah, okay. But in terms of that game, no, I've got nothing to contribute other than the fact that uh, I think everybody would have thought Carlton would be uh, Gold Coast and Gold Coast shouldn't be in the comp. That's my opinion. Yep, and a fair enough opinion as well, Mac. <laughs> I wouldn't disagree with it. Um, now, what was ne- Oh, God. What was next? GWS Collingwood. Yes, and GWS uh, bouncing. Oh, Collingwood aren't uh, all that healthy at the moment. GWS 19-8-122, a very convincing 47-point win over Collingwood 11-9-75. It was an absolute bottle of a game to watch, quite frankly. Um, some very, very good football in it, and you have to take your hat off to GWS. It does show how much talent this team actually has. When you, t- when you take out of a midfield... Uh, Callum Ward, he hasn't been available virtually all year. Uh, you've got uh, Kelly, Coniglio gone. They're out injured. And yet, I thought their midfield performed beautifully. They brought up Zach Williams into the into the midfield, who plays a very dashing game normally from the back pocket or the half-back flank. And he's probably one of the very best players on the ground. Uh, got, a, got, a, got a bit of time for Zach Williams. He's a he's a good player. Quality player. Quality player. And... Yeah. Uh, and uh, their forward line was basically intact, and they were just too good for Collingwood, just too good. Yeah. And uh, Collingwood tried very hard, but I think Collingwood go too much to the flanks rather than direct, and they therefore get themselves into a little bit of bother. Yeah, I thought I thought Collingwood were a chance to actually get them in this game, so I tipped them um, just with all those those really key midfielders there. I think I think we all did. But we, we all did. Yeah, it. it's like oh, you. Know, and I was watching the scores come on whilst I was um, driving to my footy game, and I'm just like, really, really, bastards. Yeah. yeah. And well, um, one thing I should mention about that game too, Grundy, one of the most outstanding ruck games I've seen. You've got 181 Dream Team points to give you some idea of how well he went in a losing team. In a losing team, so he is very, very, very good, and. Uh, it's an interesting thing with a quandary whether we do pursue him or not. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, well, if he says he wants to come home, Macca, and he's and he says he wants to come to your club, like do you, you do you turn a bloke? That's like Geelong saying no to Patrick Dangerfield, just about. Yep. I think you summed it up very well. So, anyway, we'll see how that pans out. Uh, Brisbane Lions uh, continue their impressive way. They were challenged by North and there was some controversy at the end. Uh, the umpires admitting, or the AFL... I don't like the AFL coming out after the game and saying, oh, yeah, we actually got that one wrong. I mean, it's too late now, gentlemen. How about getting it yeah. right? Well, if they yeah. were to do that, if they were to come out and admit everything they got wrong, they'd be talking all bloody night. Mm. Um, yeah. <laughs> That's right. Hang on. But Twelve fifteen. Hang very, on. Very, yeah, go sorry. on. No, go on. I was just going to say that was a very key decision in the game. By the way, that, that particular decision. Oh yeah, absolutely. And you know, uh, the uh, just the whole thing just frustrates me. Uh, Brisbane twelve fifteen eighty seven to North twelve three seventy five. Margin in the end of twelve points, but it could have been a, a lot different. But Brisbane yes, marching along, Macca. They are very good. They are very good. And it's an interesting thing. 
the mixture that they've done, how they've created it, you know, with Noble at the, t- the helm and Fagan as the coach and uh, Hodgie uh, as the senior player on the field and uh, pinch a couple of midfielders from here and there and they've good mid- midfielders. One of them used to play for us once <laughs> and he was regarded as not good enough, best player on the ground. Well, um, we have to talk about that. We have to talk about Jared Lyons. Because yeah, well, he, it wasn't just player. he wasn't just a solid player, as you said, he was best on ground. We've given away a kid, we undervalued a kid who is now best on ground, and we likely undervalued him because he's not the quickest midfielder going around. Um, Correct. But considering we now are running the slowest midfield in the competition, <laughs> yes, it's true. Yes. So then you, you, you line up, all right, so Brad Crouch versus Jared Lyons, who's got the better kick? Who's got the better delivery into into the forward 50? You know, who's oh, well, got the higher Jared disposal is. efficiency? Who runs better defensively? Like, it's not, it's not, it's not even a contest. And we but wouldn't, we wouldn't pay this guy 200000 a year. But you, uh, you, you can't compare him to Brad and Brad's problems because Brad is actually supposed to be our outside speed and class. And if he was in the same midfield with Brad, who was performing at the level of a Lockie Neal or those other midfields that he had around him at the Gold Coast, that's why Lyons is able to play so well in the midfield. It's not one player, it's a number of them. So for me, it's Lyons or Ellis Yolman. And that's what it came down to at the time when we were tossing up between those two. We no, weren't keeping was, Ellis Yolman and I not I don't Lyons. think it was Ellis Yolman. I, I think it was Matt Crouch, Nikki, because Matt Crouch was there in, inside mid at that stage. Uh, it wasn't uh, CEY was 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 uh, rookied. Remember, it was yeah, he was, but but he was the one. So we we offered a contract to Lions, but it was a low ball. Contract. Yeah, 150 grand we a year. We offered a low ball contract. We offered a low ball contract to Ellis Yeoman to put him on the rookie list, and he accepted that opportunity. Whereas Lions said, "No, I wanted more." Yeah, and, and we know, and we know so, how. So it was seeing who, seeing which two took it. No, but uh, the point is, though, Nikki, that we've given away a midfielder who we undervalued severely. We also undervalued Ellis Yolman, but a bit more understandable because of his knee issues and uh, his form line, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But Jared Lyons was performing exceptionally well in the year that he yeah, was he traded was. out, exceptionally well. And we decided to piss him off, um, and here we are. We 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 haven't got a midfielder who who has any inclination to run both ways and can't kick. Uh, and Jared Lyons is going to play in a bloody final series for Brisbane. They're sitting second, by the way, now Brisbane. Yep. Uh, and anyway, let's move on. The Dockers seven ten fifty two getting up over uh, the Sydney Swans by a point seven nine fifty one, ending Sydney's chances of the finals. You would think. Yes, well, the timing of the games enabled me to see the the balance of, the, of this game, and in particular, uh, Frio's uh, come from behind to get on top of Sydney and win. And uh, again, uh, you know, no Nat Fife, um, and I think they had a couple of other players out as well. I just couldn't believe with a, with a pretty ordinary side that they managed to beat Sydney, even though it was at home. And uh, Sydney, while it were travelling like, like winners when I started to watch it, but perhaps I was the curse. Um, <laughs> because after that, the Frio took over the game and uh, well got up to beat them quite narrowly in the end. Um, well, you can't get it much more narrowly than that, can you? Nope. Um, uh, but 
it was, you know, it was a good game to watch, but it was like watching a couple of scrubbers uh, fight it out, really. They were scrubbers. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, I, you can't see the Dockers making the eight uh, this year. Um, irrespective no, of that. No, basically, Sydney are our next problem. They are, we need Sydney to win another game to hold Carlton uh, back a bit. Oh, that's not going to happen. Uh, look, today we had the Hawthorne getting up over Geelong. How does that work? Uh, 12 goals, 13.85 to 8 goals, 13.61. Uh, a margin it's there of 24 points. Game. It's a Hawthorne. It's a bit like the uh, showdown. It doesn't matter what the form line is. It's always a good match. Well, they've got Clarkson, of course. Uh, and look, uh, I thought he coached beautifully today, the way he structured up his team against Geelong. Um Geelong, they like to, to do the run and carry bit of themselves. And uh, the way that he structured up his defence and, and his press once the ball's in their forward line, etc., he made it very, very difficult for Geelong. And uh, uh, I, and they, they played very, very well. Don't get me wrong, they played extremely well. But um, I think Clarkson's guidance with the way he structured up his team, uh, Geelong just couldn't, they just couldn't get through that defence very easily at all. And uh, hence the reason why... Uh, Hawthorne got home. Um, and then, interestingly enough, another ex-Crows player there on the wing, Henderson, played a very, very good game once again. With, mm. But it, very interesting to come out of that game is that Geelong actually have had the worst goal conversion after the bye. Up until the bye, they were the best by quite a margin. Now they're really struggling to kick goals, and they had so many easy set shots, and we're missing them in that. Was it was the third quarter, Macca? Very good point, Nikki. They missed about five in a row, five in the trot, I think. And some of those were absolutely shocking, shocking misses. Well, they were like they were crow-like misses. I think that'd be the best way to describe them: crow-like misses. You know, ones you should naturally kick, but they didn't. Uh, we also had West Coast getting up eventually over Melbourne. West Coast 14 goals 7.91 to Melbourne 11.12.78 in it for a long time. Eagles by 13 in the end. Brave Melbourne. Uh, they actually led the game most of the game um, and they even up, up to three-quarter time. But West Coast uh, just ran over them really in the last quarter when uh, their class told. But um, Melbourne will probably win another game or two before the end of the season, I think. They're just starting to get a little bit of form together. Um, and a little bit of uh, good football together as well. Oliver was absolutely outstanding in this game, absolutely outstanding. He nearly owned the ball he had it that often. And uh, West Coast, it looked pretty sluggish early. Um, but it, I, I liked the game being played elsewhere. It was set in the uh, natural surroundings with the, with the uh, mountains or the cliffs or whatever they are in the background. And uh, with all the uh, crowd and the heaps and heaps of Indigenous players there uh, cheering their boys on, uh, I just thought, you know, it had a bit of uh, atmosphere about the game as well. Melbourne have got a problem. Next week they've got St Kilda, then they've got Richmond, Collingwood and Sydney. Maybe they won't win another game. <laughs> uh, St Kilda had their uh, dead cat bounce today cat bounce and th- thank, yeah. thanks for yeah, the segue. The yeah. bounce, yeah. So it's the Saints, you know, under caretaker coach Brett Ratton, um, 17, 14, 116 uh, to the Bulldogs, 14 goals, 5.89. And it's happened often enough this year now that it has to be a trend. It would be a fascinating psychological study 
because there's nothing that a caretaker coach can do in such a short space of time to um, to get a team to play well. So it has to be in players' heads somehow. Well, and to me, to me, it's an indictment on players. Well, it is. If that ability to play that way was there, and if nothing as much as really being changed in terms of the coaching structures or etc. So much, there's not too much difference between it. Then why wasn't it being done before? Yeah, Does it, it purely but, come down to motivation? It's a very good point because Jack Billings was interviewed after the game and asked what Ratton had done differently. He said nothing. He just no. told us to get out there and play. Yeah. Whether I don't know whether it's a, um, oh, I don't know whether it's one of those things where it's not that they lack motivation to play, Nick, but when a new coach comes in, there's no longer a sense of well, there's no. I don't think it's like that. I think there's it's got to do with expectation. I think, um, but I'd, I'd love to do a study on it because it it's fascinating to me. Anyway, we won't do a study on it. Just one little point, though. They were mm. theorising that perhaps one of the reasons for that is is that uh, during the course of the whole year, they get a lot closer to the assistant coaches than they uh, do to the right. main coach. I don't think it's and, that either. Well, no, I'm just saying this is one of the theories yeah. they put up, and, and therefore uh, they'll listen to their message a lot more clearly than they would the senior coach. Mm. Maybe. I, I think. what it's worth. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. Anyway, uh, let's go to the ladder, and it sees the Cats now only a game clear on top uh, on 13 wins. Uh, the bloody Brisbane Lions uh, now up to second, as you mentioned earlier, uh, along with West Coast on 48 points, 12 wins. Um, nice percentage. Won their last five. They come up against <laughs> Hawthorne next week, which you would think is a winnable game. I mean, jeez. What what a season! What a season from mm. Brisbane so far. Great, um, absolutely great. Yeah, um, it'll be a very interesting game that Hawthorne game. It's down at Utah, so um, that's probably the le- leveler. Um, Collingwood slipping, slipping, slipping. Uh, whereas Richmond also on forty four points going the other way. So you'd expect that they might swap over over the next couple of weeks, uh, and uh, they play each other next week. So uh, that'll probably decide that one. That'll be a bit of a blockbuster, you would think. Um, GWS and now Essendon in uh, the spot we should have been in uh, with 40 points. Uh, Adelaide Crows uh, alone on 36 points and our percentage dropping. Uh, Do you know, I hadn't realised it, but did you notice the stat that they put up about our percentage during that game? No. No. We, we were something like 96 point something percent against everyone else and 240 something percent against Gold Coast because we played them twice. So the only reason our percentage is up, uh, up above that. 100. Yeah, the only reason our percentage is up above 100 is because we played Gold Coast twice. That's an indictment. Mm. Absolute indictment. Not 96, I think it was, uh, apart from that. Uh, Port out of the eight, along with Hawthorne, Fremantle, Western Bulldogs, all on 32 points and putting pressure on us. Uh, none of them with fantastic percentage, but uh, all with winnable games next week. Um, and then we drop down to North on 28 points, along with St Kilda. Uh, then we've got Sydney on 24 points. Uh, Carlton on 20 points, but 10 percentage points behind them. Um, the one we probably want to keep winning is St Kilda, I reckon, because their percentage is pretty shit. Um, but they are two games clear. So, 
Um, and that destiny is in our hands next week, obviously, because we play Carlton. Uh, and then Melbourne also on 20 points, but with a terrible percentage of 80.6. And then the Suns uh, not doing us any favours at all. That's the latter. That's the results. <laughs> yes. Yeah. As... Um uh, I think it was uh, Ben Davidson in the chats pointed out, we're two wins away from being in the top four and we don't deserve to be in the top four, no, even if we win two of those games. Yeah. It, it actually says a lot of how even this season is, but I think there is a real, I agree with Ben, there's a real drop-off in quality. There's a massive um, drop-off. And look, um, it's, the two games off being the top four is flattering to us because of the fact that, I mean, any any side that can be comfortably leading a game uh, three or four times. So it's not an event, it's a trend. And then just absolutely fold like a bloody Constantina. Uh, doesn't, deserve, doesn't, deserve to be, uh, doesn't deserve to play finals at all. Anyway, why don't we uh, smack straight into the Adelaide game, shall we? Because there's lots to talk about. And it seems to be a bit of a usual uh, occurrence. Uh, up by, I don't know, five goals, half time or halfway through the second quarter, and we ended up losing convincingly. And it's happened once again uh, with Adelaide going down to Essendon by how much was it in the end? I've lost my little page here for a second. 21 points. Oh, what's going on? Yes, it was 21 points, 96 to 75, Essendon getting up uh, on the back of a, uh, what, they kicked 10 goals, three in the second half, and we kicked three goals, five, so uh, fair turnaround after being 7-10 to 5-3 at half time. Initial thoughts? Well, I've been trying to work it out, because this has happened now, and even if you include the Gold Coast, you'll go out scored in the second half against the Gold Coast. Mm Mm-hmm. so if you have a look at you've got to, there's three factors come into this either our game plan demands too much of us and it's not sustainable uh, in physically or uh, the players aren't doing what the coaches want them to do in or the coaches are being absolutely outplayed during the game when other teams alter their game style now that definitely does come is a factor in the game that when his team starts charging at us with handball and cutting their way through the centre, um, there was no way long to do that to Hawthorne today. Uh, but so our structure is obviously not right. So I think it's a combination and uh, how much desperation is in this group of players at times, or is it physically not sustainable? I'd, I'm try- I, I have no answers, Fiend, because it's going to be in that mix and I don't know which one it is. I, I kind of have an answer, Macca, because what were we like before the bye? The game style we were playing was that very shutdown, grind teams down and run over the top of them. And, okay, we might have got out, they came back, and then we were actually showing a really strong mental capacity to come back in the game and grind out a win. And earlier in the season, we were actually talking about that was actually quite good. It was that kind of style, Mm. and that pressure game is going to win you. Now, after the bye, that game style has completely disappeared. Why? Who is the one player we have not had in the team 
since the buy. Cam Ellis Yolman. To me, it shows exactly how much he has brought to this team. Um, just And it shouldn't just be that one player. But to me, that's the glaring change of a completely different game style that there seems to be from before the buy and after the buy. How, how do you think that's impacted, Nick? I, and I'm not disagreeing with you because, I mean, it, it's, it stands out like a sore thumb. Um, I, but how, how that, has that it impacted? Contest, that contested ball and that body and that pressure that he applies, the ability that he's got with his size that he can do that reach. So whilst he's not the quickest because of his size, and we've seen him do that with those, you know, those little hands in and out, which kind of just stops that break. And it, even if it pulls it back to a contest again, or he's able to then get the ball and dish it out and, and create his, his space that he needs to make a good decision. Whereas we've got the players that we consider the A-grade players and the stars in Brad and Matt Crouch, Rory Sloan, I would leave Rory in there, but the other two I think are expendable. Uh, I wouldn't know that. And, 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 I, and I wouldn't really want to say that about Matt, but definitely I think Brad. I think no, he's, I he's a liability in our midfield. Welcome to the club, Nikki. Well, I, I how, how many weeks have I been saying about Brad? Mm. Well, I, I still won't join. I've been in the club a while. No, it's not, it's, it's not as simple as that. It just is not that simple. Nikki, I mean, with, with all due respect, Cam Yolman's absence has made a, a big difference because there isn't that big body in there, not only going for the ball but also protecting as well and all the rest of it goes with it. But um, Cam Ellis Yolman and God combined couldn't have stopped the way that uh, the team's carved through us in the last through, last few weeks. Yeah, but uh, why is it, Macca? Why is it? And I think it's balance of midfield. I, I, you're yeah. looking at... You're looking at Ellis Yeoman's physical capabilities, and and yes, that does have an impact. Not having his big body in there and all the rest of it, but what it also means is that we're playing blokes in there that would otherwise be somewhere else. Um, and what surprised me the most is that we haven't just used Huey Greenwood as that big-bodied midfielder in a like-for-like situation. We've actually sacrificed a bit of Matt, a bit of Brad, a bit of Sloan. Uh, as those inside players, um, and then I wonder whether Brad is uh, fit enough uh, to work inside for periods of time, and then also, you know, work effectively defensively, because he certainly doesn't seem committed to work defensively. Um, but Pike said something during his presser, which I thought his presser was terribly underwhelming. But one thing he mentioned, and it wasn't really picked up, was he mentioned capacity, Macca. And I just wonder whether that was a slide dig to uh, our fitness levels. Uh, it could have been. And I wonder what he really meant by that, actually, um, the word capacity. Uh, because you, you could interpret many, many ways. That may have been one of the interpretations of it. Um, but we, we are talking about the midfield here. I thought our trouble started a lot further back than that in our forward line because of the fact that they uh, they had speedsters coming out of there. Uh, uh, Saad, um, Connor McKenna, um, Redmond. They kept streaming out of there, and they are the boys that got got really got it cutting through there. And midfields can't stop it. Not when not when the forwards have allowed them to get away so easily. You, you are that one no, man Macca. behind. 
Can I finish, please, Nicky? You're that one person behind all the time. Yeah, just get that overlap. Yeah, because the person in front has to come up, that leads the next one and so on. And that's how we get caught time after time. And uh, if you listen to what the coach said, of their uh, 15 goals they got, Mm. it was 15, 12 of them came from our forward line. Yeah, but you know what? That's you know what that was actually a lie. I've looked at the stats. That that what? (laughs) No, no, no. It was a it was a lie because that's it was actually about six that came from rebound fifties, not twelve. Well, look, I I can't answer that because of the fact I'm just quoting what he said. Yeah, I know. Visually. Visually, there was a lot of it. And, and again, again, when we played Port Adelaide, again, there was a lot of that just come flying from the back from our forward line. We don't have the defensive pressure inside our forward line that we are supposed no, to have. I don't, I don't think it's defensive pressure, uh, Macca. Go on, Nikki. No, you it's have not a say. defensive pressure because I was at the game. So what they're doing oh, is Nikki. okay. It's, Good on you. No, no, yeah, no. no, because Nikki was at the game, there was a ton of defensive pressure. No, she was wasn't. applying it. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just <laughs> going, Nick. Have you say? No, because and I was really I trying to once that I was seeing what we were doing because they were very consciously getting about three or four extra players back there. So that's sucking up our defence and it's sucking up our midfielders. In order to get that overlap run, they are making sure that they get that out number in the forward line. We were our midfielders were then staying out to try and create some space. Uh, for our forwards, but of course there's three to four defenders sitting, extra defenders sitting in there. Once they managed to get the ball and what they were trying to do and what it worked well after half time, but we were stopping them trying to get that overlap run because this is basically Essendon play like Richmond do, which is they get those extra defenders back and then they get that chaos run forward which makes it harder to pick players up. They'll also work very hard to get an opposition player down on the ground, out of the play, so they're particularly one of the midfielders, so that they definitely have got an extra player. So there's no way you can cover that overlap run. Our defence was pushing up too high because of that, which we were doing at the start of the year. We then corrected it when we got on that good run towards the middle of the year before the bye. That's how they do it. It's very simple. We got sucked into it. We controlled them quite well and stopped them getting that overlap early on, but the midfield slacked off, particularly the one who was really integral to them doing it and the work he was doing around that space and creating it was Merritt. And who's his direct opponent? Atkins. Well, yeah, yeah, but um, that's that's the wrong play. And can I just add something to that, Nick? Yeah, I don't disagree with much that you're saying, but there there is another ingredient uh, in in that whole you know bounce out of our forward line. It's the manner in which the ball goes into our forward line. Yes. So correct. Our yeah. our forward entries are very shallow, and they're often wide. Um, so you don't actually have the ability. Um, like you, you picture it. Someone's running a diagonal from the goal square out to the out to the flank, uh, and the ball is kicked on a diagonal. So the ball's basically heading towards the boundary line. Uh, the our forward is heading towards the boundary line, trying to mark it. There's not a lot of uh, ability to cover that, so um, it often will go out of bounds. 
uh, and and then you get a reset with a with a, a throw in, or um, you know it it gets missed and there's not the volume of players around the contest to shut it down. Um, yeah. Our forward entries are far too shallow; they're far too wide. And uh, when you get a bloke like uh, Tommy Lynch, he had, uh, I think from memory because I looked this up, he had 12 second half, dis- uh, 12 second half disposals, Maka. Five of them were effective and four were direct turnovers. Now oh, he's, that you he, have to nominate that. He, he is a bloke that uh, is, is one that will uh, feed into our forward 50, but he never kicks long into our forward 50. Um, he tries to chisel out those passes, which is fine if, if you're hitting targets. You know, you chisel out a pass and then Tex can miss it from 50. Um, but because he was missing, that is, where's it going? It's going to the opposition, and that's where you get that run. So it's yes, I don't believe our midfielder defensively uh, running defensively very well. But I've also noticed that our forward entries are are not set up to retain field position, which Don likes to, to call it. Um, and as a consequence, as you mentioned, uh, Nikki, because our defensive so high, we're then vulnerable because the ball is all, all of a sudden back into the midfield, you know, uh, before anyone's had a chance to blink. So uh, a couple of things there. And we've, we've noticed all year that the uh, connection between the midfield and the forward 50 is out. And I think it's an indictment on the fact that we don't have a natural marking forward. That's what it comes 100%, down to. 100% thing. That's, that's exactly where I was going to because of the fact that what, one of the reasons the ball comes out of our forward line so easily is because the other teams, uh, every other team has got somebody who can clunk a ball now and again. We don't. Not and only that, Mac, Tex doesn't even make the contest half the time. He doesn't even get hands on it half the time. I, and, I know that, and I know that Tex got, got ignored a lot and he has been ignored a lot, and and people who point that out have got a point. But the, I think, I think, our players have actually lost confidence in Tex, because when he is in a contested situation, he's nowhere bloody near it, nowhere near it, and it's an indictment on him if they've lost confidence to the extent that they don't want to kick it to him unless he's basically on a burst lead out in front. Yeah, and you know, once the ball does. And as you said, quite rightly, we don't we don't have anybody that can take a contested mark. So the ball is actually then either going to be marked by them or it's going to come down to the ground. Once the ball hits the ground, who's our damaging player? If it's not Eddie Betts, there's nobody else. There just is nobody else. No. Well, we had a bloke and we dropped him after one game. Yep. One game, we dropped him. It's the second time this year we've done it to a kid. And if you count the way we've uh, handled Chase Jones since he unfortunately got concussed, yeah, three three kids we've done it to this year. Uh, Miles Paholke can't get more than the game, although he's injured at the moment. Like it's, oh, I don't. Well, you can't get me started because we aren't talking about it. But it drives it grinds my gears. It really does. But you'd have to be very very stupid to think that that forward setup is going to win a, win a flag. So why do we persevere with that forward setup? Um, Jenkins, uh, I thought Jenkins, he had a couple of moments where he competed, but there were a lot of moments that he didn't. Uh, Walker, the same applies there. 
Lynch, as you said quite correctly, said his delivery. He was trying to do these cute little passes all the time, and he had found the opposition more than he found us. Um, I thought that uh, uh, what's the other little whippersnapper the, um, on Murphy. the half? Murphy, yeah. He he plays up so high. He's so high. He's he's nowhere near down near with it. He, he plays he plays too high. Because he actually That's takes right. himself out of out of the contest, uh, and if he's supposed to be our forward fifty pressure, and yet he's the bloke that you know is up so high as delivering it into forward fifty, then I, I, I've actually I haven't been in favour of Lockie being in the team for maybe the last three or four weeks because I've felt like he's, he's as I've said a couple of times uh, looked really busy doing not much at all. Um, and uh, I think it's shown again uh, on the weekend that he didn't provide enough forward fifty pressure to justify his his presence in the team. In my opinion, I think he gives, I think he goes hard enough when he's near the ball, but he's not in the right Macca, spot. Macca, one fucking tackle. Uh, well, yes, uh, he's our defensive he's been... forward. He's he's our defensive forward. No one no one uh, questions his endeavour. But whether he's been told to play in, in the wrong way or whether he's just playing the wrong way, he's, he doesn't apply enough pressure. And the other one is um, bloody Riley Knight. Now, Riley Knight was put in the team for defensive pressure. Three tackles. Three tackles. Yep. Uh, yeah. And one, why wasn't he, looked- he used on one of their freaking runners? Honestly, well, why else well, is Riley Knight in the team? Should have been on uh, tagging Merritt all day. That's where yep. he should have been. Yep. Sitting in Merritt. Merritt is the best. Actually, Merritt is the. When you look at pure football ability, Merritt is the best player on the ground by 100%. Yep. Um, and uh, we allowed him to run around like an unregistered dog. Yep. Whereas, uh, uh, again, Dylan Clark, who's a, a superb tagger, he kept uh, Sloney, who tried his guts out, but he kept him down to 20 possessions. And uh, not too many of those were overly effective either. So. Um, they tagged our person who's capable of uh, winning a game for us, uh, whereas we just let theirs run around like an unregistered dog, and he, and he played an excellent game. And so the coaching staff, they've got to take the rap for it, I think. They have to. Oh, well, I guess so. I guess so, uh, Macca, because... Uh, but I, I do think players have to take responsibility for their own form. Of course they do. Of course they do. But then again, um, if... Sometimes you're in a position that you don't have a structure that can win and also you don't have a structure that can stop the opposition. And I think both of those applied in this particular game. Before the game, I thought I looked at our personnel. I didn't look at the way the game would be played, and uh, that's quite stupid of me, but I looked at just the personnel. Because if you look at our personnel line by line, on paper it looks good. And I looked at their personnel line by line, and I thought, well, they've got a few out. There's a couple in there that are bit dubious we should have the upper hand and I was very confident we would win the game because I didn't take into account what's inside the body the heart I didn't take into account uh, the brain trusts uh, behind each of these uh, mm. teams and you know it's a co- as Ben Davidson quite right said it's a combination of coaching and players and we've got players who are on the tail end of their career because we, we are we were the oldest team out on the park out of the 18 teams uh, this week and we've got so many players that are on the paying on towards the end of their careers, and we've got players that should be starting to learn the game, sitting in the twos, and um, it's it's a team that can win some games, but it's just not going to win enough. 
Well, some telling stats, um, and we will get into the head-to-heads, but I will make a, a couple of comments because um, it seemed to me that Don was blaming uh, largely forward, forward pressure, um, as we've just discussed, for, for there the was loss. There was none. For the loss, and that's all well and good. But for the third week in a row, uh, the telling stat is contested possession. Um, we were up... Uh, for all of the first half in the contested possession differential, uh, by the end of the third quarter, we'd gone from about plus 10 to about minus 10 or thereabouts. Um, and we continued on around about that rate, minus 10. And the score differential follows that stat 100%. Okay? Now, that's the same as, as what... Always will, yeah. Well, that's what happened. No, well, not always, because, see... The other stat that um, has been hurting us is uncontested possession. So it's been a real indicator that when we haven't been able to play our game on our terms by having a lot of the ball and a bit more uncontested possession, that's when the score has dropped off. The uncontested possession in this game, we maintained a positive differential quite easily throughout the course of the match. The trouble is we just weren't getting enough of it um, because... uh, uh, we weren't getting an, enough of it in the cold face, and Essendon was so efficient with their ball use that they were having their dis- their conversion rate uh, per disposal was, or their disposals per uh, shot or whatever was quite good. So their their ball use was very efficient, uh, and when we did get the ball uh, in a contested situation, um, we tended to use it inefficiently with a lot of overuse of handball and handballed flat-footed people, etc., etc. So a lot of cheap stats in that uncontested possession. But, you know, you can say it's forward pressure all you like, but at the end of the day, if your midfield uh, are not getting the agate at the coalface, and our clearance work was fine, so... When the ball is stationary, Macca, and our blokes are around it, they're good, and we know that of blokes like Brad and Matt. But when the ball is in the field of play and they have to work hard and uh, win a contest, they're not so good. And that's that's the stat that dropped off in the second half. And then the other stat, sorry, Matt, just to finish off, the other stat that correlated with that is, uh, and which is why I wondered about fitness, is uh, the turnover differential. Our turnover differential went from pretty much parity to about plus 10. So our contested possession dropped off, our uncontested possession uh, maintained, but the turnovers increased. Um, So there you go. Yeah, well, I was listening to Jimmy Bartell on the radio, uh, not on the telly uh, this morning, Um, and they were doing uh, the Channel 7 review of our game. Bartell, I tell you, he's, he's a genius. He, he he talked about every game that had been played so far, and, that, and when he analyses, he can he has the ability to reach deep inside of a game and just see it. And he went straight to our midfield, and he did the structure of our midfield, which I've been saying is wrong all the time. Um, and he said that if you look at Adelaide's midfield, there's some very good players in there, and they're all diving in to get the ball. And then when they get it, they've usually got to hurry it. They do a wild handball or, or, or hurry it out there with, rather than giving it to a player. On the other hand, I said, he said how you should be set up is how Essendon had Merritt sitting back on the outside and then if they do get possession of the ball, shoot it out to him and then they get a, you get a quality delivery going forward. And, Mac, and uh, 
sorry, I mean, that's what we've been saying mm. about them week after week after week. This, yep. this is, as he said, the way you should set up is your, your midfield should be a circle. It should be a circle. So the, that whichever way the ball goes, you've got maybe one or two go in and the rest are waiting for the ball to come out. Yeah, Fox Footy, Fox Footy highlighted some uh, some of our midfield set or our stoppage setups as well, Mac, and it was very much the same. Um, they highlighted the fact that our outside runners were uh, too close to the contest, um, yes. and therefore ineffective. Um, too many of our blokes going in. Um, yep. You know, we've been we've we've said for quite a while that we get sucked into the ball too much, and that's because our midfield is full of natural ball winners. You know, Matt, Brad, Huey, Cy, they're all natural ball hunters, so that's their game, mm. and uh, that's where. Uh, I'm saying that uh, it's the balance is all wrong. We're, we're expecting Brad to be something that he's not, in my opinion. Um, he could be a very good inside midfielder because he has got a little bit of ability to, to burst, but he hasn't got. He's not clean enough and silky enough to be that outside distributor. You have a look at the difference between Brad and Dylan Shield on Friday. Friday night. Wouldn't you love to have Dylan Shield in our midfield just for a little oh, bit of God. silk on the outside? That's speed, yeah. Speed. And and you're just watching him go and people around us are yelling, go, chase him, chase him. And it's like we don't no. have anybody on our list who can go with him. He's yeah. that fast. Um, and that that's it was beautiful to watch uh, from a football purity point of view, mm. but from an opposition point of view, oh, he wanted to, yeah, <laughs> somebody take him out. Yeah, yeah. so... To- it's balanced, I think, Mac. I think it's balanced. Anyway, look, let's yeah. uh, go through some head-to-heads um, and see what we can find. Uh, disposals, 424 to 405. Nothing wrong with our uh, ability to get the ball. Our kick-to-handball ratio was, um, you know, okay-ish. 242 kicks to 182 handballs. Uh, yeah, we took enough marks to suggest that we had plenty of uh, uncontested ball, um, which the stats show out. Uh 49 tackles, which was the other criticism of uh, the night, I guess, yeah. is that the fact poor, that we just really could poor. not stick a tackle. They were breaking through our tackles, something shocking. They had 66 tackle of their with own. their hands and not their arms. Yep. Uh, and, and, that's, and that's because they're doing us for pace, Mac. If you, if you aren't quick enough to get yourself into the right position to, to lay a proper body tackle, it's because they've done you for pace and you're and reaching... Um, hit outs, outs Rolly O'Brien did really well, 44-26. to 26, I thought he played well. Um, uh, I, I would actually have Riley as our best on ground. Yeah. Oh, me too. Yeah, I thought – yeah, we'll get to that. Um, clearances, we did uh, – as I said, we did really well, 50-28, to 28, which would uh, normally be enough to win you the game. Uh, and, again, it should be, a, it should be a, a big red light flashing in the coach's box to say, hey, we're smashing clearances and losing – where else? Point, what yes. else is going on? You know, what else is going on that this is happening? And then you have a look at our contested possessions, and we lose it by eleven. Um, you know, our disposal efficiency looked good, but what doesn't happen is that people look at those stats and they go, "Well, what? You know, what did the? What's the actual number?" But then you've got to have a look at it more closely, and most of those stats dropped off in the second half. You know, so it was. We were a fair way in front in the first half, statistically as well as the scoreboard. 
you know we're winning all of these um like even the clearances if you have a look at the second half sorry i'll just bring that up um so clearances in the second half we absolutely smashed it you know 15 uh, plus 15 at half time we ended up uh, plus 23 thereabouts so we continue to win the clearances and yet our contested possession stat goes down the toilet what like doesn't that ring a bell macca uh, uh, yeah 100% i mean if, if you ever saw if we if i only gave you one stat for the game and said we killed him in the clearances with those numbers You'd say, how much did we win by? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but unfortunately, the rest of it was no good. But then but, when you have a look at uncontested possessions throughout the third quarter, right? So at the start of the third quarter, we were plus 38, un- uh, sorry, plus 48 uncontested possessions, right? By the middle of the, or sorry, by the start of the last quarter, we were plus 21. So in the third quarter, we lost uncontested possession by, what was that, 20, 27, which means that what they did was dried us up on the outside. So even though we continue to win clearances, we lost contested possession and we lost uncontested possession in that third quarter. Like substantially, uh, that that level of differential in one quarter of football, and that was that dropped off a cliff very quickly. By about ten to twelve minutes into the third quarter, we were down to um, plus twenty five from as I said plus forty eight. So we were down twenty three already within 13, 12, 13 minutes of the third quarter. Now, someone in that fucking coach's box needs to be looking at these stats because they're clear indicators that something's going wrong, as well as what you're seeing going on with your own eyes. You know, these, these sort of things should be buzzing in, in in front of people, and they're not. Yeah, well, well as you know, we have a... You'd have to be uh, a great optimist to say that we have a good coaching team, Um We've had Campo now for some years, and Campo had his moments, but uh, he's also been criticised for various things in the past. Ben Hart, no good, no good at all. I mean, the forward forward line structure is a joke. There is no structure. It's a joke. Uh, Midfield, Godden, we we talk about the way we set up in the midfield, that we're not set up correctly, so that's not a tick. And the only one that gets a tick is uh, Matt in the back lines because the back lines, poor bastards, they've got this wave coming at them time after time to the point where they end up arguing against Max themselves, as we saw a couple of times, because it just keeps on coming and coming and coming. They'll kick it out and come back again because uh, of the problems up further up the field. And our overall plan, well, that's, Don Pike's got to take the rap for that. So, No, I don't look, believe that's the case. And still makes a very good point in the chat. Scott Camparelli has been promoted as senior assistant. He is in charge of our match day strategy, Macca. Yeah. And I've had a gutful of Scott Campo in our in our coach's box. You, there, I'm sure there are there's blame to be apportioned in other ways. But remember, Scott Camparelli used to be in charge of our midfield when it was putrid, right? Now he's in charge of our match day strategy, and it's putrid. So. He really needs to be marched on. He really he is he is no good. He is no good, and he's a blight on our football club. Pardon the pun. 
Uh, he served us well when, when Walsh went down, and we appreciate that and all the rest of it. But yep. he's been in our coach's box for far too long for no result. He's survived, what, four coaches? He's, yeah. he's, be, he's remained in our coach's box through as uh, when four senior coaches have dropped off. I defy you to find another senior assistant at any other club who has not only lasted 10 years but also outlasted four coaches. <laughs> it's a very, very... Come on, mate. I hadn't even thought of it. No, no you, you don't have to convince me. I, I'd like to see him go. I, I made that point. Um, the only one I would keep, and you, you're probably right, Pike may not have the team he wants, uh, but uh, apart from Pike, who, who is a question mark in my mind, because at this stage we don't make the, the, the match or the moves in a match that, we, that should be made, in my opinion, anyhow, um, there's only one coach worth keeping, and it's our defence coach. And I would just clean out the rest and go... And I don't care if we went over the salary cap and paid the... the uh, well, you know we're not whatever. going to. We're not going to do that. No, but common sense says... You, no, we're not going to do it. Go, we won't do no, it. No, we're not going to do it. Well, why wouldn't you kick out uh, Campo and, bring, and get hold of Richardson, for example? Oh, no reason, Macca, but we won't go over the luxury tax cap not to any not to any substantial amount anyway yeah not, it's not, not worth in person it. not not on purpose but we shouldn't need to because every other bloody team in the comp has got a decent coach's box and they can afford to do it as far as we're aware there's only one team that's over the over the tax and i think that's collingwood mm-hmm. um so other other clubs can afford a decent coaching box we've got two rookies um a bloke who's been there a hundred years and another bloke who's been there a hundred years, and a, and a bloke who can't get a job anywhere else. So, like, it's a shambles. And I, you think about it, Macker. If you walk into a workplace and you're a senior manager, for example, right, and you look around you, and there's there's a couple of new blokes who haven't been there very long, and then there's this one guy, this one guy that's been there, you know, ten years. He's he's the stalwart in that office, right? How, how much? How much leverage do you reckon that guy has in that workplace? Substantial. Substantial. Even if you're above him on the hierarchy, he's still got substantial pull. Too much. And and that's what's happened with Camparelli. So uh, he just needs to go. He just needs to go. Uh, And it's not even an... It's not even a criticism of Campo, although I don't think he's any good. Um, It's just too long. Too long in the one environment. Well, surely they'll get rid of Ben Hart this year. I mean, they did tell him to go away and get look around for another job uh, because he was, still had a year to go on his contract. They were hoping he would get picked up so they didn't have to pay the year's salary. Uh, and when he never got picked up, and obviously nobody is as dumb as us to appoint him, uh, we got stuck with him. But he'll surely he will be gone at the end of this year. Surely. Well, you would think so. You would think so. Uh, you know, Matt makes a good point in the chat. It must be hard for some of our kids to respect the coaching panel when they see some of the selections. I mean, Eddie Eddie mentioned uh, to Rashido before the game that uh, Tyson Stengel was pretty flat at not being selected, and I reckon he had every fucking right not to be to be to be flat. You know, he had every right to be flat because he did nothing yeah. wrong in his debut, and we gave Richie Douglas four of the most useless weeks. In in football, single goes and kicks three goals. All right, they weren't you know 
it was his debut for Christ's sakes. He did nothing wrong. We need pace. We need someone who's a bit zippy around the goals. It obviously had a positive impact on Eddie. What do we do? Oh, you know, we'll just drop him. We'll just drop him. Unbelievable. Yeah, well, no, just while we're being critical of uh, our people apart from players, Fagan surely has to cop it in the neck. He must cop it in the neck because we had uh, the two th- the year 2018 was a year from hell for our club. Mm. We were the laughing stock of the competition and then we had the dickhead come out on a Saturday afternoon and humiliate the club with that uh alleged explanation of what was going on, which he explained nothing and actually uh, made fun of the media. Uh, now, any manager worth his salt would have never appointed, let Burton be appointed in the first place because that is the most senior football position in the football club and we have a man sitting there who does not have the capabilities, he has no qualification for it, no background to do it, at po- all those roles whatsoever. And Fagan has allowed that, and not only has he allowed it, after he has absolutely effed up, he's allowed him to keep his position. And I've heard that people who've queried him on have been told everybody makes mistakes. Well, I'm sorry, there's hundreds of thousands of people who barrack for the Crows and want them to go well, and they have to put up with this absolute shite with a man at the top like Burton running it. And then we've got, as you mentioned, Campo, and we could go through... Heart, we can go through other people. Fagan is the man who is the CEO who reports to the board and he should be making recommendations to the board for the removal. And as I said, Burton obviously stole my little box. Um, they, they should be making major changes and it should become from Fagan. And he's the head of it. And he, we, all we hear is excuses. Well, I'm, not, I'm not so sure uh, it's Fagan because... I'm not sure that's how the club is actually structured internally, Macca. Uh, you they would, report you, to Fagan. Well, well, no. They do. Uh, Brett they Burton, report to the board. Brett, Brett Burton reports to the football director. And who's that? Well, that's, that must have been changed because it used to be that they used to yes, report uh, to the CEO. That's, that's what I'm saying. Uh, I... I think organisationally they probably still do report to the CEO in terms of expenditure and budgets and all that sort of stuff. But there's a dotted line report to the board-level football director, and who's that? Well, that's Mark Rusciuto. Correct. And he's also responsible for half this mess as well. Correct. It's Mark Rusciuto. And Mark Rusciuto sits on radio and sits on TV and, and talks tough and says, you know, we're too slow, we're not bloody, we don't run, we don't, don't do this, blah, 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 blah. But he's not held any of those blokes accountable. From Brett Burton down, he has not made any of those blokes accountable. And I'd like to say that with regards to that earlier comment about the luxury tax, we don't want to spend over the luxury cap, and yet we've got Brett Burton, who was in charge of our um, you know, fitness. Then we've yes. got Matt Haas. Who, who's in charge of our fitness. fitness. We've also got Steve Saunders, who wouldn't come cheap. We've spent a buttload of money in that space for one good bloke, Steve Saunders, and then mm-hmm. two blokes who came from a failed program at Brisbane, one right. who's still in charge of our fitness and the other one who's in charge of our whole football department. 
So it's not a matter of whether we can afford it. It's where we're spending the money, Mac. Because Steve Saunders could probably run our whole fitness department without any problems at all. He doesn't need Matt Haas there. And Brett Burton, if he failed at being a fitness director, then how the hell did he get to GM footy ops? I don't know. So, you know, you're, you're right in terms of selections, but I, I hold Mark Schuto far more accountable here than Andrew Fagan because I think Andrew Fagan, his, uh, his number one KPI is looking after the corporate side. And Rue's in charge of footing, looking after the footy side. But the other thing well, I lay out at Fagan's feet as well is because of the fact that they called for, for a review and it was, uh, a review was obviously necessary to, to be done given the year that we had. Okay, they didn't but, have a review. But, but hang on, instead of getting an external review where you'll get honesty, Fagan did an internal review. My Godfather. We've got to examine ourselves and say how well we went. When you're not going to get the right answers. You're not going to get the right answers. You're not going to get people voluntarily give up their jobs. It was not a proper review. But what did what did Fag say, Nikki, when we raised that? About the which one? About reviewing. The, like, basically, he said that the club's always in review. We're always looking at, you know, our performances and blah, 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 blah. And, yes, they yeah, conducted that, that, a that review. Always, yeah, no, he actually said that every club is always doing it. And they're always doing internal and external reviews. The only time they announce they're doing it is when the, it's for PR. Yeah. Um, well, so any any AFL really... club, any time they announce that they're doing a review, they're doing it for a PR reasoning. And he's pretty much within this industry, they are always continually going through reviews. They're continually pulling in outside areas to look at particular areas of football departments, etc. They do it every year. They do it multiple times. Nikki, we were we were told by Fagan that we were going to do an internal review. Now that's all we were told. Now um, there's been no mention of any names whatsoever as doing an external review. Um, to say that the, you do constantly do internal reviews, that's not world chattering. Any decent manager with his salt, any decent manager worth his salt is always doing an internal review of what he's got. In, t- in terms of an external review. I've been involved in organisations where we've called for an external review and you get some very, very surprised results out of that because they, people look at that, the people that look at from outside look at it with, with the, 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 the way they look at things isn't coloured, it's not biased. Whereas um, there's also a problem with that, Macca, because I'm involved in an area where there's often reviews in very particular areas and we've had a lot of external reviewers come in who have absolutely no idea about the space that they're reviewing and what they provide, the amount of money it costs. Um, No, like KPMG, etc. They just have no idea of what they're doing, but we've told we've had to get an external review um, and it's sometimes it's a complete and utter waste of money for it to happen and you um, have to spend so much time responding away from your actual job that needs to get done. So yeah, but it I, does... I, do, I don't put things... I don't have this belief in reviews like Macca does. Because no, I've also worked in an environment where, where yeah. that's happened. And you're right, cons- external consultants, Nikki, can sometimes miss the mark completely because they're accountants and they don't know the, the industry. But we're talking about a football club and there's enough people within the footy industry that would be capable of reviewing certain elements of that club. 
You don't. No, you, you don't. You don't need to bring in a uh, an external consultant unless you're actually reviewing finances. There, there are plenty of people in the football industry uh, through various channels that are well placed to be able to conduct a um, a considered and a, a appropriate review. Um, I, and I do agree with you, Nick. I, I've been involved in in external con- consultants coming in and tearing a place apart and having absolutely NFI about what they're talking about because they're not part of the industry. But in this case, there's enough people around that could do it. And the man man in question is Brian Cunningham. Brian Cunningham has been uh, not only a great footballer and a a good football brain, he's also been in high executive positions. Yep. And he he was used in the the trotting industry to do an uh, an external review of that. Again, I, I've seen the review that he did on because I, I, I race paces, so I know the industry. Um, his review was excellent. And we again, we had crow-like managers who wouldn't implement it because it affected their own persons. They wanted to look after themselves and they didn't implement the uh, recommendations and they're in trouble financially. But, uh, anyway. Brian Cunning would, would, would have done a good review. But, I don't uh, know uh, how we got from contested possessions to. <laughs> I'm sorry, but no, 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 uh, no, it's Matt fine. Having it's a goal at Burton, basically. No, well, <laughs> well, and I'm, rightly so. I'm angry about the club. Over, I'm angry about the club overall, Nicky. Mm. It's this. It is not just what what we saw on the football field and what we saw the week before and the week before that. Is that is just the expression of what we've got behind the scenes, and that's what we get. I think that's, you know, Macker, I think that's a fair call. I think you can have outliers in any season. Um, have a look at Geelong uh, this weekend against Hawthorne, right? That's an outlier. That's not a trend. Um, and, you know, it's against a nemesis and they always have good games and all the rest of it. So you could you could say that the Geelong game for us was an outlier because we never play well at Cadinia Park. Uh, you can yep. certainly express concern about the Port Adelaide game, but then you can say, oh, well, you know, it's a showdown and form goes out the window. But this game against Essendon, against a, against a team that was depleted, let's not forget, they didn't have a fucking Ruckman, right? I oh, know. Didn't have a Ruckman. Um, you know, they had a couple of really good players out. Um, they're below us on the table. We're fighting for a um, position in the top eight, let alone the top four. Uh, we've come off a... a, a confidence-boosting win, albeit against a, a lowly team, but, you know, we've been able to shake off the, the showdown loss, etc., etc. We're in front at half-time, controlling the match. Very much controlling the match. And we lose it convincingly. You know, Essendon kicked four of the last five goals of the match. We lost it convincingly. Convincingly, we lost it. That, to, that it to me... Sorry, go on. Ten of the last 13. Ten of the last 13. Exactly. Yeah, but they kicked... Um, let me just have a look. That, it was it actually... I didn't actually realise it at the time. Uh, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, hang on a minute. But he essentially never kicked the last half dozen goals or whatever. Um, but basically... I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear, oh, dear. Um, no, basically, what I was going to say is that if this this Essendon game was a litmus test for me, and it's no longer an outlier, it's no longer a you know circumstantial, it's a trend. 
it's an absolute trend. And you're right, Mac, Eric. It it's a reflection of what's going on at the club in my in my view. Um, that we have there's no urgency, no passion, there's no metal within the group at the moment. Um, I don't think that they actually believe in what the coaching group are putting in front of them. Uh, I don't think they necessarily believe in each other. Um, and I, I, I think the group is cooked from not only the not only the admin and and coaching staff, but also the the players. I think they're cooked. Yeah, just on the, on the players. I, you, when you look at the uh, on paper, you look at the team on paper. You think that's not a bad lineup, um, but um, as you know, it's one of the ingredients of the players. That then it's how you're using the structure, the game, how, the game plan that they're trying to play, the the roles they play within that game plan. And the one thing that we do, we the two players that we have lost to other clubs that really hurt us, Dangerfield and Charlie Cameron, the ones mm. that could, could provide that same dash that Essendon had into Me. the forward lines. If we had those two players left, or their equivalents, uh, it would be a different team, a totally different team. We don't have that speed, that dash out of the centre. No, we don't have a lot of things, Macca, but let's not forget that we have won games of football. That we're, not, we're not terrible, right? We've won games no, no, of football. That's what I said, on paper, we've got good players. Yeah. Um, and so it makes you think, what else has gone on? You know, I don't think our, I don't think our balance is right. I don't think our structure is right uh, in the midfield. Okay. I, I, don't, I think we lack a marking forward, uh, like a real marking forward, um, and that hurts us in terms of our forward fifty entries and our ability to keep the ball in forward. Um, but at the end of the day, I, I, I think I think when we were playing against Port, we looked like a team in that second half that had no idea how to turn the game around once it was lost. And I th- terrible. And I think we're still that team. I still that we're still that team that if Plan A doesn't work, it's not that we don't have other plans. It's just that the players don't. I don't think they believe in those other plans. I don't. It doesn't. They don't play with any belief anymore. Anyway, look. Let's plough through the rest of these stats, eh? And then we can have a bit more of a chat yeah. about it. Um, uh, Contessa Marks was even. Uh, Marks inside 50, surprisingly, 15 to 9 our way. Uh, but as I mentioned, you want to have a look to see where those 15 marks were taken, uh, both in terms of where on the field and also when in in the course of the game. Uh, 50 clearances to 28 didn't help us at all. 35 to 39 rebound 50, so there wasn't that massive disparity that uh, Pikey might have led you to believe. Um yeah, uh, metres gained, uh, they were a little bit more. Turnovers, uh, as I mentioned earlier, we won that stat quite convincingly. Tackles inside 50 was only 9 to 11, so it wasn't terrible, but nine's still not a high number. So, uh, yeah, uh, we won't bash on about the differentials anymore. Let's have a look at some individuals, shall we? Now, Brad, uh, you know, you would... You would say he had a good game, and I, I guess you can't say that he didn't have a good game. Uh, he, had a, he had a really good. Uh, I was quite pleased with his first half. Yes, exactly. I thought there was that first half was so good. He seemed to have turned that corner. The, the he was playing a lot better around our midfield. Mm. It was that second half. It was that lack of defensive run. So run. Um, there was so specifically a couple of their goals. I can contribute. I can attribute. 
specifically to either Brad or Atkins mm. with their lack of wanting to put pressure around a contest on their player, giving them too much space. And then when they start to spread out, they just like jog behind of, oh, they're too far away. Well, Brad Crouch I didn't have a... I don't think it's as that, Nicky, but I, I thought Brad had a good game. Brad Crouch did not... First ha- half. Brad Crouch did not have a contested possession from the 16-minute mark of the second quarter until the 24-minute mark of the third quarter, Maka. Not one contested possession. That's when the game is turning, right? Not one contested possession. Well, he may not be in a position to do that. Well, he's playing in the midfield. He has to be in a position yeah, to do that. He's on the field. Yeah. Matt Cr- uh, Brad Crouch didn't have one clearance from the 16... 16- I, I think every week we target Brad and, and there are so many others out there who don't bloody contest at all. But, don't he, get the ball but he's our number one midfielder, Macca. What, what the hell do you want me to do? Well, he's our number he's one midfielder. No, no, no. Listen, Look, we have got a lot of players that get very busy doing nothing at all and Brad Crouch is one of them, right? So... His, his KPIs are getting the ball and delivering it, right? That's what a midfielder does, yeah? So between halfway through the second quarter and the end of the third quarter, he didn't have a contested possession. He didn't have a clearance. And that's when the game turned. So who else do you want me to blame? Uh, he's had 17 other good mates out on the ground with him. Um, yeah, but he's at the cold face. It's a midfielder's game. You know that, Macca. Without without the midfielder working, the forwards don't get enough ball and the backs are under too much pressure. You know that. Look, I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to defend Brad and say he played a perfect game, but I will say this. He at least got the ball 35 times. Compare that to some of the others. And he all had, he did, and, and most of that 35 times, he handballed to Matt. Exactly. Uh, two metres away from Exactly, him. And, and it was noticeable. And, he applied seven tackles, which again is a lot more than our forwards did. Yeah, well, That's so the, so he should. He's around the he's around the bloody contest, Macca. Yeah, Riley O'Brien was around there, around there as well. Um, he's he's he, a he, fucking ruckman, for God's sake! Come on. No, he actually played very well. And once the ball hits the ground as well. No, he got he applied four tackles. Um, but he's probably a poor example. But Paul Seaman, not a tackle he did to his name. I think. Did he? Right. Well, Brad Brad Crouch tackle stacks. Stats. He did, he had no tackles in the second quarter, and he had one tackle in the third quarter. That's when well, the game changed. So his tackles happened in the first quarter and the last quarter. So when the game changed, he had no tackles. He had so he's had no contested possessions. He's had no clearances, and he's laid no, no tackles. What's he done for a quarter? Nothing. This is why we're looking for why the game turned, Macca. And this is why the game turned because our premier midfielders didn't. And I'm not gonna. I'm not just harping on Brad. I'm gonna go through the others, but Brad's okay. the first cab off the rank. And I'm Look. just telling you what's what's in front of me on the screen here. Okay, but I, I understand what you're saying. But there was also he was in, there were a lot of company that didn't even do as good as he. I did. couldn't give a shit. I couldn't give a shit about what company he's in. The fact is that he did not perform. Matt Crouch didn't have a clearance until the five-minute mark of the third quarter. He actually was our clearance machine in the third quarter with four clearances, right? So Matt Crouch got clearances in the third quarter. 
Matt Crouch also got contested possessions in the third quarter. Right? He got... Uh, what's that? Um, he got four contested possessions in the third quarter. So who are you going to blame? Matt or Brad? Him in the both of them in the sixteen. No, no, no. Mates. I've just given no. I've just given you stats that are complete opposite, Matt. Uh, Macca. <laughs> Look, thank. We'll never agree on Brad. Uh, so, are you not? Are you just going to ignore stats, Macca? Are you just going to oh. ignore stats? He, look, he has bad patches, the same as all the players do. It was a whole fucking you know, quarter, Macca, and it was the quarter that coincided with us losing the game. And uh, and I don't, I'm not arguing against that particular. You are. Factor. You are. You're saying, oh, a lot of other people play bad. Well, during that period, Matt didn't play bad. I didn't. Is there other? That. Is there other cold face player? Matt didn't play bad. Only Brad. During that period. What about Sloane? How did Sloane go in that period? All right, so Sloane during that period in the third quarter, another one didn't have a, didn't have a clearance in the third quarter, and had two two contested possessions. So another one, he doesn't he doesn't uh, escape the blowtorch either. Two uh, contested just, possessions. They- the team played shit in that period, and and Brad was part of that team. I accept that. It's not uh, just that Brad's part. Brad is not Lockie Murphy, Macca. He's not a bit player, right? Brad is integ and and Sloan. These blokes are integral to whether we win or lose. And you've got to remember that while all this is going on, right? Riley O'Brien is dominating the hitouts, right? Yes, dominating the hitouts. So in the third quarter, we were plus, uh, looks like about plus 10 in hitouts, right? So we dominated the hitouts. And yet our, our main two ball winners, Rory Sloan and Brad Crouch, can only get one clearance and two contested possessions between them for that whole quarter. It's not good enough. I totally accept that. I mean, you're gonna you're gonna have to point the finger at someone, Macca. So if it's not Rory Sloan and Brad Crouch, who is it? Well, uh, it is them. They're they're, they're part of. Um, but uh, I just I just thought after halftime there were so many of our team that you could actually finger and said that that about. But it starts with the midfield. Surely you know that. It I starts that. with the midfield. Everything stems from the midfield. If we do not get the ball, then our forwards can't work and our defenders are under too much pressure. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I agree with it. And if our inside midfielders aren't getting the ball out, then how are our outside runners supposed to work? <laughs> I'm not going to argue with you. Um, I just think we make a lot of bread and and we... Uh, he fucking deserves it. That's why, Macca. Right. He deserves it. All right. Simple as that. Riley Knight's another one. Riley Knight did not have a contested possession from the 15-minute mark of the first quarter until the 20-minute mark of the third quarter. Not one contested possession. This is a bloke who's in the team because he's a hard nut. How many contested possessions did the team have in that quarter thing? Uh, Let me have a look. Uh, In the third quarter? Mm. Um, I'm looking at... 24 to 106. Looks like 32. 
very poor for a team, isn't it? About 32. Well, no, not really. 32 times 4 is 120 contested possessions. How many contested oh. possessions do you reckon we normally get? I don't know, but who, who was getting them then? They must be in the back lines. Well, maybe they were. I mean, Essendon had 152 contested possessions for the for the game. We had 141. So you divide 141 by four, that's about 30-ish, 35, something like that, right? Mm-hmm. So we had 32 in a bad quarter. But mm-hmm. but in that bad quarter, even though we still had, you know, an average number of contested possessions, our two main ball winners only got one between them. Uh, and that is pathetic. There's no argument against that. Yeah, but you're asking me. I'm telling you, that's, I'm I'm not biased for no reason. I'm biased because of what I see, and I'm lucky enough to have put together a stats tracker to be able to t- help me pinpoint who's doing what when. And yeah, I have that going when I watch a game of football, and I can see exactly what's happening. And Brad Crouch goes fucking missing and will not run and work when it gets too hard. Simple as that. And Rory Sloan, for the amount of money that he's on. Should be able to shake a freaking tag from who was on him? Bloody a Dylan Clark, first year player. A first year player, exactly right, Mac. A first year player playing against a, a veteran and a co captain of our team, and he gets swallowed up. It's not good enough. No, it is. It is not good enough. I totally agree. Like we can sit here and and no disrespect to you, Mac. I have listened to you bash on about Burton for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. And I sit and listen to people bash on about Don Pike and uh, uh, you know Matt Godden and Ben Hart and I've done it myself, right? But the facts don't lie that if you're out on a footy field and you're getting paid $600,000 a year to get the agate and you're not getting the agate, then the blame surely sits with you, doesn't it? Because none of those other blokes are grabbing your jumper when you're out on the footy field, are they? No. no. Brett Brett Burton is not scragging Brad uh, Crouch when Brad Crouch is trying to run defensively, is he? No, so but ultimately, the player has to bear the responsibility. Well, of course they do. But in the background, they can be trying to play an unplayable uh, game plan. Yeah, but you talk fun. to me about, and it sounds like you and I are having an argument. We're really not. But it pisses me off a bit, Macca, because you talk to me about imbalance when I have a crack at Brad Crouch. You've spent six months or probably 18 months bagging Brett Burton. and yet well, you, I won't stop till he goes. Yeah, no, no, that's fine. But you want me to let Brad Crouch off the hook? No, you no, no, you are totally entitled to your opinion about it. And you're it's not it an opinion; it's fact. I just finished by saying, and you're backing it up. So you've got to, if you want balance, then you've got to show the same amount of balance. And when you're talking no, about I'm how football, when you're talking about no, how football is played, this this at these days, it's all about the midfield. And our two premier midfields did nothing for a quarter and a half. And as and a consequence, to- we lost totally, the game. I am agreeing with you on that. But what I'm also saying is that some of the other players who were poor in that period were poor all game rather than having good periods. Like, well, give me, a, give me one. What, a give me a player. Poor, do you think that Eddie had a good game? No, but he's playing forward pocket. And well, he's relying on the midfield to get the ball Taylor. to him. Taylor Walker, centre-half forward. Did he play, have a Playing full forward. No, he played centre-half forward. Well, played centre-half forward then. He's playing forward. He's playing in the in the arc. 
Did Lockie Murphy have a good game? Nope. Shit game. Playing forward. Roy Atkins, did, Roy Atkins, did he have a good game on the wing? Nope. On the ball? Nope. Absolutely not. Probably suffered for our lack of contested possession, but didn't go and get it enough himself. Riley Knight, did Riley Knight have a good game? Shouldn't have been in the team. So, I mean... Anyhow. And but most all of those have actually go on, Nikki. Not, you're going to go on, Nikki. You're going to say what I was going to say. Yeah, my, most most of the ones that you've named there are relying on the midfield getting the ball to them. Not all of them, but uh, yes, like, most of them are. Well, Knight's mostly playing up forward. He wasn't playing in the midfield. Only occasionally did he go in there, and I think that was only in the last quarter. Eddie's playing deep forward. Tex relies on the midfield to get it to him, even if he's playing full forward or centre-half forward, and he alternates between those two. Murphy's playing a small forward role. He's relying on either Tex getting it. Therefore, that's, again, on the midfield. The only midfielder you named is somebody we know shouldn't be in the team, should have been dropped a long time ago, and should be on the trade table at the end of the year, which is Rory Atkins. Let's move on for Brad, and I'll see that you are right. It's not about being right, Macca. It's about trying to work out what's going wrong. Um, and I feel that what went wrong was our midfield stopped working in that third quarter. And by the time, uh, you know, the the game got completely out of our control, they kicked four goals, two in that third quarter, and we kicked one goal, one. Uh, the ins- What was the inside 50 count, like 5 to 19 or something or other in that third quarter? We didn't even get it forward. I don't know how you expect... I don't know how you expect Eddie Betts to have an influence on the game when we get it in the forward line five times in a quarter, right? Okay. And that's and that's after having complete dominance in that stat up to half time. We were completely dominating the game up until half time, um, and then well, you not, know, not quite up to half time. I thought we just eased off again as we have been doing about the, the last five seven minutes of the quarter. Were you being when pedantic? When they got that, no, no. I, no, I'm not being pedantic. I'm, just, I'm raising that for a particular reason because I reckon it's about the same mark we knock off in everybody game. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's probably true. That, that's that's a fair point because we do seem to tail off just leading into half time. And those teams all, always get a couple of goals just before half time. Yeah, well, even Gold Coast were getting red time uh, scores against us last week. Port killed us in red time uh, in the showdown. I reckon most of most of their telling goals came in time, or you know, in that last five minutes of the quarter, um, from memory. So it's definitely an issue. And in and even in this game, as you mentioned, Mac, uh, leading into half time, they got a couple. And like I said earlier, they got the last four goals of the game. And the other thing which we haven't really mentioned is the fact that we are the worst set shot uh, team in the competition. We're number eighteenth for set shots, um, and the number of times we could have stitched games up before half time and still had a bad second half and one uh, is quite a few because we we missed like anything up to half a dozen gimmies from absolute set shots that every AFL player should kick. Tell me this, Macca, if we were ten seven to five three, do you think we would have won? <sighs> if we played the same way as we played the if the game half, panned out the same way the 10 goals 7 I don't think it would have made a scrap of difference yes it puts more scoreboard pressure on Essendon but they it won does. they won going away they oh, won very, very 20, like. 21 goals and kicked the last 4 goals of the game yes it would help if we could kick bloody straight and there's some real culprits I don't know what happened what's happened at Tex Walker's kicking but 
uh, you know, he's not the only culprit. Uh, Tommy Lynch uh, missed one that he shouldn't have uh, shouldn't have missed. Lockie Murphy doesn't seem to be able to kick straight. Eddie Betts doesn't seem to be able to kick straight half the time. I don't know. But when we were 30 points up, we should have really been up about 45, 50 points at that stage. Well, I wouldn't say 50, probably 40, 45. Well, we, I think we missed three or four very, very easy gimme goals. And, I, I, don't, um, I don't think that... I don't think it would have been beyond, beyond, and you can't even you can't even make that assumption because a kick goal instead of a point, the whole game changes because it goes back to the middle. So, well, I, I well, I understand that we do make our job harder. Oh, no doubt about it, no doubt about it. But uh, I don't think it's um, I don't think it's the difference between us making finals and not. Um, look. A uh, special mention to Riley O'Brien. I thought he did really well. 12 kicks, 15 handballs for 27, three marks, four tackles, 39 hitouts, seven clearances, um, you know, 17 contested possessions. Our team high contested possessions. Maka. Yep. And the only contested, uh, the only uh, critical factor in Riley O'Brien's game, which was a magnificent game, by the way, uh, was the fact probably. Two to three times, maybe four times, he actually knocked a player who was in a better position, one of our players, who was in a better position to get the ball out of the way trying to get it, and in the process knocked the ball to the opposition. Um, well, you know, when you're, when, you're, when your premier midfielders are standing around having a cup of tea, <laughs> you're not no, going to knock him, are you, for going and getting the no, agate? No, look, he, it was, uh, with Roddy O'Brien, it is definitely a case of see ball, get ball, and... Uh, if everybody was like that, you wouldn't lose a, wouldn't lose a game. But yeah. um, unfortunately, it did uh, rebound on us about two or three times. That's my only knock on his whole game. I thought he played excellent. Yeah. Well, you want to knock him, and yet you want Brad Crouch. I'm not. not no, no I'm, on, hang on. Seventy percent disposal efficiency. Uh, he had six uh, stoppage clearances. He had five score involvements. Uh, only three turnovers. Six intercept possessions. It was just a monster. I thought. Uh, and, so, and so it should have been, eh, Nick? Magnificent. Yeah, I, you know, when we got the little announcement that he'd signed on for two extra years before the game, you think, okay, for those who talk about whether you're mentally weak or strong, for a lot of them, okay, I've got that job security, I know I've got the job, but he just is continually putting that pressure on to say, I am now the, the Ruckman for this team. Um, Jacobs is not going to get a look in whilst he's playing like that, and he shouldn't. And between us, we we have criticised other players in the team, and none of the there is nobody else in the team that tries harder than this bloke. Nobody. Nope. And if everybody had the same heart and willingness to chase the footy as this bloke did. Uh, as I said, even when at the expense of sometimes knocking his teammates over, um, it, we would never we'd never get beaten. This guy is what he's putting in at the moment is uh, it's about two to three times any other teammate of his. He's just a hundred percenter. Yeah, can't fault him. Can't fault him. Um, I thought Brody Smith uh, was pretty good. He sort of played forward until mid he, until he changed his number. <laughs> yeah, well, I missed I missed twenty six in the second half. Although it was kind of hilarious because I think one of the first times because I'm I'm watching the warm up and I'm going, "There's a twenty six out there. Who's out?" And I'm trying to count everybody. And by that time, Brody had turned around to face me, and so I'm like, "No, but Brody's there." And everybody else, and once the game started, is going, 
He's actually got 26 on. I wonder whether I wonder whether it was a ploy to shake a tag or something. Because <laughs> they would have seen 26 and gone, you know, we're not tagging Richard Douglas. Um, <laughs> but the funniest thing is, I think his, when he went to his first possession, he went to go get it and he fell over. I'm like, oh, my God, it's not Dougie that falls over all the time. It's the number. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it must be a heavy, heavier uh, amount of fabric or something. Um, but I thought Brody was pretty good. He had uh, 31 touches, seven marks, three goals, one. Four tackles, six inside fifties, uh, six clearances. Uh, he went at seventy-seven uh, percent disposal efficiency, twelve contested possessions. So second only to Riley O'Brien. Um, he had three, um, sorry, eight score involvements and gained a six hundred meters. Uh, Mackie, you can't ask much more than that from the bloke who hasn't played midfield for his whole career. Uh, even though everyone's been jumping up and down saying get him in the Get him in the midfield. Including Brody. He's wanted to be a midfielder ever since he's been in the A grade. And he, yep. he, apparently he's pestered every coach that he's had, please play me in the midfield. But and why should he have to fucking pester a coach? Oh, because they're stupid. I mean, and seriously. Oh, yeah. my God. Uh, now, they, you, you saw what happened when he was given the opportunity. And I reckon it's possibly uh, very close to the best game that Brody's played and be in terms of his impact upon a game because he still had... Uh, kicked a hell of a lot of a game a lot of metres but he's dash and he's, he's actually got pace and he can kick a very long ball um, I, I really loved his game Well, and loved the thing it. I like about Brody's game is that his stats line was pretty consistent for most of the game Yeah, uh, he didn't drop off at, at many stages um, his numbers stayed pretty consistent uh, through the course of the game in fact he was uh, what did he get in the third quarter? Uh, he got um, six contested possessions in that third quarter, so he's certainly not one to uh, shy away from it when others perhaps were. So uh, really, really good game from Brody, I thought. Massive tick. And, and if it wasn't for Riley O'Brien's uh, lion-hearted effort, he would have been the BOG. But I think Riley just pipped him. What do you think, Nick? No, agreeing with what you say, that was one of the best games I've seen from Brody. Um, and whether he was playing up forward or whether he was playing in the midfield, we've all kind of talked about Miller doing that role, and, and I think he's that contrast mm. between the, the pair of them, so who's actually the more natural at it, and I think it's Brody. Yeah, I agree with him. I'm going to make a call and say that I don't think Wayne Miller is a midfielder. He's not a natural he gets, lo- he gets a bit lost. Yeah, I think... Well, you know, Andrew McLeod ended up on, on a half-back flank yeah. and became one of the best players in the comp from that particular position, yeah. just setting us up time after time. And I think that's where Miller will, will shine his best. I, I agree with you, Mac. I don't think there's anything that says Wayne has to be a midfielder in, or, in order to fulfil his potential. I think you play players where they're best suited. And I think Wayne is fantastic with the ball coming at him. Uh, he's able to intercept and counter with speed and agility and be really damaging by foot. I think he could possibly be a wingman, uh, but I don't think he's in the centre rotations. Uh, and I would love to see them just... Be- and I think he can have cameos up forward as well, but I don't think he's a natural midfielder uh, it's certainly not from what I'm seeing now. He may well develop in the future, I don't know, but I'd have him off half-back every day of the week. 
Yeah, I'd have a half back or wing, you know, um, and perhaps in the in the one game playing both, you know, just interchangeable. Um, that's I, th- I think, as you said, he he plays it so well when he sees the ball coming at him, and once he's got hold of it, the, the ability to get out of tight places and then use the ball. I think coming off half back and wing gives him that opportunity to do that. Yeah, and when you consider we got Dmac. Uh, running off half-back, and no disrespect to DMAC because I thought he was serviceable, did did what you expect David McKay to do. But we look far better with a Wayne Miller playing in that sort of, you know, defensive outlet role. And uh, I know at the moment we're trying to inject some pace into our midfield, but I think it's more an indictment on the fact that we're not choosing the right players. I mean, again... Correct. Correct. Play, play Chase Jones. He's, he's a relatively quick lad. Play Jordan Galooch. He's relatively quick. These are guys. Yeah. We 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 draft midfielders, and then we refuse to play them in the midfield, and then we try to turn everyone else into a bloody midfielder. Play them where you play them where they are naturally good. I think that's a very logical statement, and that's what should happen. Yeah, you know, we we've when you look at our team, we've got it like even Luke Brown was a midfielder as a junior, if I remember rightly, wasn't he, Nick? Yeah, he was. Tell you what, he then he he, uh, he when he matched uh, strides with Tippin and Woody, and actually then he beat, beat him. him. Yeah, that really but made the commentators sit up. I know, but the commentators they really they were almost gasping at how quick he was. Yeah, uh, the thing I reckon half the problem with Luke Brown's name is that he's got two single syllable uh, words <laughs> to his name. <laughs> And the, and one of them is Brown, right? So he's the most unassuming bloke you would ever meet. He plays unassuming football. Um, you know, he's, he's, he seems like a relatively quiet... I mean, we've had him uh, interview on the Crowcast and he's a, a you know, mild-mannered sort of a lad. And I reckon as a consequence, they just stick him in, in the back pocket and be done with it. But, oh, Jesus, I reckon he'd... I wonder whether they've ever considered running him through the midfield. He actually is an excellent shot for goal. Excellent shot for goal. He, I, I yep. can't, remember, can't remember him missing when he's had a set shot for goal. Oh, well, he's missed, I think, one or so. But the, a couple of years ago, the, uh, there was one of those like question and answer things they do with players for every team. And for the Adelaide, the question was, you know, if there had to be a kick after the siren on the 50, he'd be who would you trust in your team to take it? And even though we had Tex, and, and it was the time that Tex was actually playing really well, Pretty much every single player in our squad nominated Luke Brown mm-hmm. for that role, and their, their nickname for him is actually Silence. Yeah. So, <laughs> and they do that because that's what he does to small forwards. But he I mean, silences them. Our, our back pocket had twenty-four touches, eighteen and six. He took five marks, laid a tackle, seven rebound fifties, two inside fifties. Uh, he went at uh, 91% disposal efficiency. Uh, he had four score involvements, 380 metres gained, and 10 intercept possessions. And I bet you no one put him in the best players. <laughs> you made an excellent point there, Fiend, because uh, I was aware that he played an excellent game, but I bet you that 90% of our uh, uh, supporters, even at the, at the game, wouldn't have recognised that he had played that well. No. Tip and Woody kicked one goal, had eight kicks, was not influential. No. 
was like, and this is a guy who's been on fire. Lukey Brown absolutely flogged him, flogged him, mm. and uh, you know his sort of reliability and his sneaky pace and his composure because he's a very composed player. Yeah, terrific composure. And the fact again, he played his juniors as a midfielder. What the hell is he doing in the back pocket? Could be interesting trying him on the ball. See how he goes. Mm. I mean, you'd miss a. You'd certainly be missing a very good player down back. Well, I tell you who you put down back: Riley Knight. No, next year when Duday's back. Oh well, yeah. Oh I'm, yeah, I'm talking about yeah. it right now. Um, anyway, look, disappointing players. Sloan, we've talked about Atkins. Uh, I just wasn't impressed with his game. I just felt it no. was another no. nothing was game. game. I mean, he had 13 kicks, 19, took seven marks. It just uh, didn't really influence the contest at important times. Uh, I felt Wayne Miller was a bit the same, uh, faded in and out of the game and wasn't really cited when the whips not, were cracking. Not enough. No, not enough. Uh, Huey Greenwood continues to be a bit enigmatic. Um, uh, don't know what to make of Hugh. I know, it, it, uh, Nick, you were at the game, about 90% up forward, Huey? Yeah, mostly up forward. Yeah. Uh, I don't really mind sure. it. There was a couple of times in the, the midfield, he was placed in the midfield and we were starting to get the ball in and it was like, can I actually have two of him? Because like we needed him up forward yeah, to provide yeah. that extra, mm. um, the extra. So we we were trying some different looks through that midfield. At least we were trying to do some changes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's still not quite working. Yeah. Nikki, any any truth the rumours we're trying to train him? Um. Well, with the output we're getting from him, and we know he's on very good coin, and other clubs are offering quite good coin. I would hate to see him go because I think he is quite a special player, but he's come to the game, I think, a little too late, unfortunately, and the, the changeover from a basketball fitness to AFL fitness is, yeah. is, is what's doing him in, unfortunately. So why wouldn't you play him as a permanent forward? I would. Because he can obviously take a mark. Uh, he can apply some defensive pressure. Um. Because I think you're right. I think he's never going to ha- quite have the wheels or, or the capacity to run a full game out in the midfield. And it's a shame because he's fantastic inside. Um, but he also plays very tall. And I think he's got some value as a forward. But I don't know whether he's got some value as a forward with us. Yeah, I, I, look, I, I think long term that if, if we want to be able to play uh, Chase Jones and McHenry and a lot of other young boys that, we can't afford to keep all these old guys. No. When I say old guys, the guys that haven't got a lot of years left in them. and But while they've got a bit of currency, it's a time to move them on, and there is a bit of a rumour that that might happen. Oh, there's a big rumour. Uh, and, look, we've got two blokes in this position because we've got two mature ages in Greenwood and Keith, and they both know that they're negotiating their biggest contract of their career at the moment, and on balance, you know, one's having an all-Australian year and the other one's just floating about. So if if you're the Crows, you're going to put your eggs in the Alex Keith basket at the moment, probably at the expense of Hugh. And when you have a look at our issues in the midfield and our imbalance, then it makes even more sense to make some room in that space for some different uh, personnel. So uh, unfortunately, I, I think everyone loves Hughie Greenwood and no one from an emotional perspective, wants to see him go. 
but I think we can all agree that it's, it just makes sense. Yeah. Um, look, the other one, uh, Tommy Lynch, I mentioned briefly before, he had 24 touches, but he's another one that is just so bloody rusty when I first came back from a spell. And it told yeah, in the second really, half. Yeah, really good in the first half. He was getting a, a little – there was a little bit of a test. He was on the bench for quite a bit in that third. Yeah, yeah, saw yeah. that. Um, but I think it was also – we were kind of peppering that ball up forward and he was trying to get on and it wasn't quite working. Um, but, yeah, he did – it was that fade out in the second half, which shows because of the he hasn't been able to do that running, but we've missed him. Well, it was his disposal efficiency, Nick, um, 58. Really 58.3 for the match. And as I said, um, he had 12 disposals, only uh, five effective in the second half um, and four mm. direct turnovers that, that led to scores um, for Essendon. So um, that was really costly. And... You know, as much as we know that Lynchy is a, a an important part of our game plan in terms of being a conduit, again, when remember the time when the Crows would never ever pick a player straight back into the ones after an injury, we would always run them through the twos. Do you remember yeah. those days? Those yeah. days I are gone. Those days are gone now because we we yeah. quite often. Uh, like blokes like uh, Jenkins, uh, Lynch, a couple of others, uh, straight back into the team, and those are blokes that are notoriously slow after after a spell. Although, having said that, though, Fane, I think a lot of clubs do that these days. Uh, there's some that are more conservative, and uh, I think that's probably the right way to go. But I, I have noticed a lot of teams will pick players that've been out five or six weeks and put them straight in, and generally they they go no good, and often they re-injure themselves. So. Yeah. There is a bit of merit in putting him back in the twos, isn't there? Yeah, well, just to give him a run. I mean, because the trouble is, I mean, Lynchy looked a bit proppy. As you said, Nick, he copped a bit of a knock just before half time or something um, and looked a little bit sluggish there for a while. But you're taking a big risk. Um, you know, do you put a fit guy in there to play that role or do you play a bloke in, in there that's you're not quite sure whether he's going to run out of the game? I don't know. Anyway, look, we've been crapping on for ages and I knew this was going to be a long wrap, but we're probably putting people to sleep now. <laughs> well, um, they've, they've been active in the chat, so... Yeah, they have, and quite rightly so. <laughs> yeah. Uh, look, uh, really disappointing, uh, obviously, um, but we've always called as we've seen it, as we see it here at the Crowcast, haven't we, uh, lady and gentlemen? So oh, we, don't, we don't pull any punches... With the Crowcast, and we do, and we do love our club, and we want them to succeed, and we know that there's people within the club that they want, they want to succeed just as much as we do. Yep. Um, but we have to vent our frustrations and but, our anger. Um, yep. but I, I think what we do, we try and discuss and look at ways of going. Okay, what's going wrong, and how can we fix it, and and what are the possible ways that could be fixed, and that's all we're trying to do trying to get some answers ourselves and so that we can see a way forward. Yeah, I think that's I think that's fair and reasonable. Uh, Nikki, that's what we're trying to do. Um, we do love our club and uh, it's horrible sitting down and watching the, the, the capitulation that, that's occurred over the last couple of, you know, over the last month or so um, because, and I'm sure the players must realise this, there are some players in that team that are on their last legs in terms of, opportunities to play finals football and perhaps contend for a flag 
And you just wonder, you just wonder whether some of the sen- some of these senior blokes are starting to lose that belief that they're ever going to make it, and whether at whether that's the point, Macca, where you're going to move those blokes on. Yeah, and I think the, I think when you're in that situation and you, and you know identify, you should move them. Yeah, because you're only holding up the young uh, somebody else's uh, progress and ability to fill that position. That's right. All right, well, look, how about we leave it there? We've got a massive Tuesday Night Live uh, coming up again uh, this Tuesday. Um, it's been a big rap show. We thank everyone for participating on Spreaker and also on Facebook chat. Um, uh, thanks to our sponsors, Ryan at Smith Partners Real Estate. If you have any real estate needs, buying, selling or renting, uh, visit Ryan at uh, Smith Partners up there at Golden Grove. Um, down to earth electrical for all your electrical air conditioning and data needs uh, if you've got any geeky uh, needs uh, for advice go and see Scorpus's uh, YouTube channel Hardware Unboxed and a massive thank you to everyone who supports us on Patreon if you want to support us on Patreon go to patreon.com forward slash AFL Crowcast or click the Patreon button on the AFL Crowcast.com website epic epic rap show Nikki and Mako well done <laughs> Thank you. We bring it. Well done. We did bring it. Uh, thanks to everyone. As I said on the chat, we'll see you on Tuesday night for Tuesday Night Live. Good night. Yeah, night all. all.